Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right, we're going to get started on Hebrews chapter 6 today. So we're going to take the the second part of the, the third warning, the danger of failing to mature. And we took the end of chapter 5 last week. And this is really a continuation of that warning to us as believers. And, you know, as we... When you think about the the heaviness of what we went through last time, the danger of being dull of hearing, if you remember, we went through that in a, a lot on why it's so important to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to you. But as we dive into this, we are going to take some verses today that are, that are seriously probably the most difficult verses in the entire New Testament for a lot of people because they read it and they assume it's saying something that God really isn't saying. And so we're going to break that down a lot in the Greek and show you the grammatical structure of what the Lord is is precisely saying here to each of us in this third warning. So this lesson today, more than almost maybe any other lesson, you know, Acts 17.11 applies. You, all of us, we need to search the scriptures daily to prove these things are so. I'm going to give you what my view of it is and what the Lord has showed me through my studies. But please, if you have an issue with any of it, go and study it and search it out. And so why should we do that? Well, first John two twenty seven and 28, those, those are the guiding verses for all of us, right? As we're studying the word of God in terms of we have a teacher and that teacher is the author himself, the Holy spirit. And so we want to lean on that teaching through everything, especially today, in this message, we've got to lean on the Holy Spirit to teach us everything. And don't take that lightly. That is a that is a privilege, by the way, that you are endowed with. You're endowed with the privilege of sitting with the author himself to go through this stuff and to let him walk you through it and teach it to you. And so on our outline here, we finished chapter five last week. We're in this middle section right here, spiritual maturity that goes goes through the first part of chapter 6. We're going to take the first eight verses today, and then next week pick it up in verse 9. So these warnings again, why are they here? You know, these warnings are here because the entire book of Hebrews, again, it is to the believer. This is not to someone on how to get and get saved. This is to you and I that have been saved, and now how do we stay on this walk with God? How do we stay lockstep with him? That's what Hebrews is all about. The book is centered around the danger of drifting we covered in chapter 2, hardening the heart, much like Pharaoh. Remember from the Exodus event, his heart was hardened because he, he chased after what his heart desired, which was death and destruction of God's people, not of what God was telling him. And so... Don't get confused. Pharaoh made that choice. God did not harden his heart. God turned him over to his heart's desires, 
when you study it in the Hebrew. So then we're tackling this third one right here, the danger of failing to mature from chapter five, and it covers over into chapter six. Now, each of these builds on each other, each of these warnings, and it's important because it's a pattern of falling away. It's a pattern of culminating with apostasy. And so apostasy is the worst case, right? It's where you are refusing God. You've become apostate. You've left the body. You, have, you don't come to church anymore. You've denied the faith, etc. That's apostasy. So you don't want to get to that point for sure. And there's why it's a pattern and why the Lord is giving us stern warnings in place. So they're in place because God is longing for a deep relationship with us. Right, that's the, the goal. All the way from beginning in Genesis 3, the goal was God wanted a family. He's always wanted a family. And he's, he is, but he's not going to force his love and his family on you. When you're saved, it's you still have to run after that deep relationship with God. And what we're trying to, the point he's trying to get across here in Hebrews is, don't let your grip on Jesus slip. Stay in the family. <laughs> Stay in the family. Don't be a prodigal son. Don't run off and blow your inheritance, but never lose your sonship. Right? That whole story is a model of this. In one story of the prodigal son running away, and he blew his whole inheritance, but he never lost the fact that he was a son. And that's, what's, that's what is at stake here for you and I, is that you can run away and lose your inheritance, but You'll never lose your salvation. That's one of the things we're going to cover today. Okay, Jesus' superiority, it prevails throughout Hebrews. So he has a better high priestly position in heaven, so we are to hold fast. That's all from Hebrews 4.14 when we cover that. He is a better high priest than Aaron ever was. He's better. His priesthood is built upon a better covenant. His priesthood is, a be is in the better sanctuary located in the throne room in heaven that's where jesus is right now in heaven in the throne room that's his sanctuary the sacrifice to establish priesthood was none other than himself and thus it was better so the levitical priesthood and god tackles this later on but if it could cleanse you of sin then it would have ceased but it can't cleanse you of sin it was a model of what jesus would ultimately do to cleanse us of sin. So all through this book, Jesus's office, role, and work, it's all superior. It's all better. And so since Jesus's priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek, remember, these were the four verses we took last time. There are many revelations the Holy Spirit would like to say, but then he declares he cannot. So this is one last time as we go into chapter six, of whom we have many things to say. Remember the of whom was Melchizedek and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe." But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So when we unpacked that last time, remember the whole point God is driving home is that when you are born again, there comes a time for the milk, just like when you have a baby. But at some point, 
if you're a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old and you still are on liquid food and not solid food, you're going to be malnourished. You're not going to be growing. So you've got to transition to the meat of God's word. And these warnings are here so you can be victorious in that walk by making that transition. That's the point. And so God is, it's a call to a higher relationship with the Lord. And so this, as we start chapter six, it's really continuing this theme, right? This theme of stop being immature and start getting on the depth of God's word and grow up in your Now, again, why is it so important how you hear? Remember the spirit of God, he says in Revelation two, two and three, seven times the seven letters in Revelation, Jesus declares, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. And so don't be dull of hearing. That's the whole point. Open your ears to what God has to say so that you can grow in your walk. And if the spirit is, is crying to you about something in your life, you can be dull of hearing there also if you don't want to get rid of it. It may be a sin or something in your life that you're harboring that you're just being dull of hearing there. Well, it's going to lead to stagnation. And ultimately today, something you're going to see something that you really don't want to be declared on you in your life. Can you go to the next verse, Darren? Or next slide, sorry. Yeah. Hearing is tied to your inheritance. So this coming kingdom, remember these verses from Mark. And he said unto them, Not to be under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifest. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto him, to them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him it shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And God is, God is serious about how you hear. Because as you hear the word of God and deepen that relationship with him, then your, your inheritance and rewards in the coming kingdom, in the millennium, are secured. They're put in place for you to walk into glory with Jesus and throw those at his feet in absolute glory. So to start chapter six today, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So remember, this is a continuation of the not being dull of hearing. Get off the milk, onto the meat of the word, not laying again this foundation of. And then he lists, God lists out some things that he considers to be the foundational principles of a relationship with him. So God's call to us, as this warning continues, it's to grow up. Grow up in your faith. So you have this foundation now it's time to build on that foundation. It's time to build a house that's pleasing to him and honoring to him on that foundation. So you need to leave the foundational principles and move on to building on that foundation. Don't just lay the salvation, that foundation from Jesus and just be content to sit on it. You've got to build upon that. So it's to press on to meet and maturity. And the danger is that if stagnation and refusing to press on continue to occur, then there's an irreversible
irreversible decision made. And that's what these verses cover here in a minute. There's an irreversible decision made that will permanently keep you in a place that you do not want to be. And, and that's why these verses are so troubling to a lot of people that we're about to cover. So the Lord defines these elementary principles, and they're in three different groups when you look at all six of them. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. That's immediately after conversion. So you get saved, then you have the power to repent. You have the power to overcome sin in your life with faith toward God. The second grouping are ceremonial, doctrine of baptisms. Now notice that it's plural. Baptisms is plural because remember last August when we did the baptism service, I talked when you get saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes you in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Then when you go, and that's all in Romans. Then when you get to Acts, when you get baptized by the Holy Ghost from Jesus, and you get that fire poured out upon you, with giftings and all kinds of things, understanding, maybe speaking in tongues, whatever it is. So doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands. Laying on of hands can be for healing. It can also be for commissioning. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers who passed away many years ago, he, when he decided to go into full-time ministry, they did a ceremony where they had a lot, he, had, he and his wife had a lot of believers that met them and laid their hands on them so that to commission them into the call of that office. Pretty neat. The second two, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, those are end times kind of things. So resurrection of the dead and, and eternal judgment, God is declaring these are foundational principles. And so when you read that, it kind of makes you go, well, gosh, those are pretty heavy, heavy statements and heavy things in the word of God. What's the meat then? If these are the mill, what does God want us to move on to? And so this list is not all-inclusive, but when you think about it, when you really start studying the Word of God, the best way I can describe it to you of moving on to the meat is what is your future? What is your future in Jesus? Just think about it that way simply. The rapture, the millennial. Jesus types of saints, the Old Testament saints that get resurrected in Revelation 19 when Jesus steps foot on the Mount of Olives from Zechariah. There's the New Jerusalem, the kingdom parables, the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet. All of these are deeper topics to search out and build upon these principles. And what I kind of love about it is those six principles, they kind of bookend everything, right, with the Lord, from your salvation to eternal judgment. But it's all of that stuff in between to make it where it's a little more black and white for you, not so gray of what your future holds. And when you dive into the, to God's word and the whole counsel of God's word, all of that comes to light. So when you look at, at 6 verse 1 here, let us go on unto perfection. Okay, the Lord's imploring you and I to on, keep building on those principles and keep them in mind, certainly. And they are needed to go spread the gospel. People who are not saved need to hear about the foundational principles, right? That's what they need to get saved. But the Lord's imploring us to press onward. Luke 9, 62. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this is a call in your life as you serve the Lord. Think about this. If you are if you are plowing a field and you're looking for harvest and you're in the field, you're working for the Lord, 
He does not want you looking side to side and backwards of where you came. That's what happened to Lot's wife. Remember, she was delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. She looked back longingly at what she was delivered out of. She was rooted in the world, and she became a pillar of salt as a, as a result. She was stagnant. She stopped her walk right there. She was, she was taken out of the game, not marching forward anymore. And the Lord does not want you looking side to side and getting caught up in what the world would have you look at and get caught up in, right? Looking left and right. And we talk about this in men's Bible study all the time, but the enemy wants you looking at those around you and not ahead at what the Lord has for you. And so Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's when you really read a lot of Paul, it really endowed him and wrote through him. He had a almost a paranoia of not reaching the prize. It's it's always running. It's always a competition with Paul. It's always. I've got to I've got to press on because there's a high calling a mark before me and that's kind of the tunnel vision that Hebrews is screaming for all of us to have Proverbs 22:6 Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it You know when you think about this think about all of and I meant to mention this when we were celebrating all of you moms earlier but think about all of the men and the sons and daughters that have come to know the Lord through a praying mom or wife and training up their children. I mean, it takes so much time, but it is, it is a tireless job that is biblical, and God declares it does not go. Okay, when you train up your child in the way they are to go, they will not depart from it, Proverbs 22, 6. And so you're teaching them tunnel vision, right? You're teaching them how to stay focused on the Lord. And this is true. This verse here, though, in 22.6, it's not just a physical child. It's a spiritual child. So think about that. It's not just a baby. It's also a newborn Christian. Train up that child in the faith on how they should go, and they won't depart from it. They're not going to go astray then, left and right. Okay, in verse 3, And this will we do if God permit... For, so here are the verses that, that give everybody so many issues. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word, the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So when you're a newborn Christian and you read those, there are a lot of people that read those verses as there's something I have to do to keep my salvation. That's how they read it. They read it as, and it's a lie from the enemy, but that's how they read it. They read it as, gosh, it's impossible for me to be renewed to repentance if I do these things. And what does that mean? And how does that look? So, but these verses are all about the danger of relapsing into sin and forfeiting your inheritance in the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to tackle this in depth here. So 
What are the characteristics of these people? So when you read those verses, they were once enlightened. Okay, in the Greek, that word means to enlighten, imbue with saving knowledge, to give understanding to. It's the same word used in Hebrews 10.32 that means regenerated. Okay, these people are saved. They are enlightened. They are regenerated. They are endowed with the saving grace of the Lord. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That word partakers is metakoi in the Greek. It means an overcomer. So they're in every one of those seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3, it's written to the overcomer. These are written to people that are saved. They've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. The of the world here in Greek is eon. It's speaking of the singular world to come, the millennium. That's what it's speaking of. If it's worlds to come, if it's cosmos, it's speaking of the worlds that Jesus created. So the heavenlies, the second heaven, the third heaven, the new earth, etc. So the word have tasted in verse 5, this is the same Greek word that's used of Jesus in Hebrews 2.9. Jesus uh, certainly, right, he tasted death for every man in Hebrews 2.9. It's one of my favorite verses. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He tasted it. The same word here. It's that same Greek word that we've tasted. Okay, in verse 5. So, this opens a question. Can you lose your salvation? And, and biblically, absolutely you cannot. And it, because if it were up to any of us, we would all mess it up. I promise you, every one of us would mess this up if it was up to us. Some of my favorite verses on this are John 10, 28, and 29. Them eternal life. It sounds like a long time, eternal, not temporary. And they shall never perish, not occasionally perish. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which give them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus gives us eternal life, not partial life. And he doesn't say he gives us eternal life if we do certain things. He gives it to us. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. He gives us eternal life. Now look at what those verses say. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. No man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Jesus is saying there are two hands of the Trinity involved here, the Father and the Son, and you are a man. You're a man, and so you cannot pluck yourself out of his hands. It won't happen. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus uses this, this terminology really deliberately, born again, because you in this room and watching online, no matter what you would, would do, you could never make yourself unborn. It wouldn't matter. You could, you could blaspheme your parents. You could pay all the money in the world. You could do anything you wanted to. Now, you might be able to take yourself out of the game, but you cannot change the fact that you are born again, that you are a creation, that you are knit in your mother's womb and birthed into this world. And that's exactly what our spiritual life is. You cannot be 
unborn. You can't change that fact. So in, can you go back one, Aaron? Sorry, did you skip one? Oh no, I'm sorry. Okay, for it is, I know what it was. I wrote them in my notes here. There was one more verse I wanted to cover. Sorry, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So it's not in your notes, but write these down. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So if your salvation's not of works, you can't lose it by works. It's a gift. You did nothing to earn it. So you can't do anything to lose it. Just I want to make sure we... You could cover a hundred different verses to, to cover this topic, but just keep that in mind. Your salvation is eternal. Okay, for it is impossible for those who were, and we looked at all these characteristics, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified in themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So this word right here in verse 6, fall away, in the Greek, verbs have different tenses. So, for example, if you ate breakfast this morning, it's a past tense. Um, I'm going to eat, future tense. So, in the Greek, an errorist tense means a completed past action. So, it's a past tense verb. This word here, fall away, in the Greek is an errorist tense, meaning it's happened, it's been completed. Someone who is saved has fallen away from the faith. Okay, they've, whatever, they've drifted, their heart is hardened. Now they've fallen away to this point. So it's a past tense action. This, the two verbs that follow, crucify to and put him to an open shame, both of those are present active verbs signifying a continuing action. So you've fallen away but you're continuing to crucify the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Those are present actions, okay? It's just grammatically, this is really important. So grammatically speaking, the impossibility of renewing someone to repentance, notice it's to repentance, it's not to salvation. Renewing them to repentance, that impossibility continues during the present state of continuing to crucify and ridicule Jesus. Okay, so, and those are extreme verbs from the Lord. So the main verb of the sentence and its descriptive errors participles that modify it, they're all limited and defined by the present tense of those two actions, crucifying again and putting him to an open, open shame. So essentially the actions the Lord is ascribing to and the impossibility only remains if the individual continues these present tense activities. So think about that. It makes so much sense when you think about it this way. If the person stops these activities, then they become past tense and the impossibility of renewal or restoration no longer applies. So if the impossibility were permanent, then the Holy Spirit would have had to describe those two actions as an errorist tense form in the Greek. Okay, hopefully that wasn't too confusing. But if they shall fall away, that's the completed action. Seeing they crucify is the present action. Put him to an open shame, present action. Those are the two, the two Greek words there. So again, the impossibility remains if the two present actions continue. So if you put this simply, 
if you can, it is impossible to get you back on the right path with the Lord. Just think about it simply like that. Because how can you crucify Jesus again? Okay, he paid the price and gives you everything to conquer that sin in your life. Everything. So let him do it. But how do you crucify him again afresh? Well, you let sin take hold in your life. You let it take root. And you don't exercise the authority that Jesus conquered it all on the cross. And you're constantly saying, I just can't get over this. Right? Well, praise God, you don't have to. Jesus did it for you. So stop crucifying him again constantly over and over and over again. And trying to say, okay... What he did the first time wasn't enough, and so he needs to do it again and again and again. And I can't break this, this cycle in my life of fill in the blank, whatever it is. You can. You have to take it to him. And so when you keep participating in the same sin, you are denying the conquering work that he did on the cross. You just are. That's not to say you will never sin again in your life. Don't misunderstand. But if you let sin beset in your life and stay there, you are denying his authority over it because it has no place in your life. As soon as you mess up, when you are, when you are right with God, if you mess up, you know it right away and you are on your knees in your bedroom crying for forgiveness. I promise. So people know you're a Christian. I hope that people in your workplace and in your schools, they know that you are a believer born again. And what does Jesus say? When you're letting sin beset in your life, you are putting him to an open shame because you have a responsibility to conduct yourself at a higher level than the world does. And so when you're putting him to a shame, it's, it's not giving them hope, right? Just think about that. You're not giving them a reason to come and know the Lord. Because they look at you and just think, well, they are doing all the same things I'm doing. What, what is this Jesus thing? I guess I can just get saved and keep doing whatever. Go to Vegas and blow money and whatever. And those are maybe bad examples. I don't think anybody here is doing that. But, and, and you get my point, though. The point is you are called out of that. You're called to not continue in it. And I know all of you have friends in your lives who have been Christians who you know you knew from high school or middle school or even college or some maybe young in your adult life and now they don't have a strong relationship with the Lord and and when you talk to them it may have been decades well they they drifted away their heart hardened they continued prep um, allowing the sin to propagate in their life right and so thus it's, it's almost like you're talking to a brick wall almost. I mean, you're trying to talk to them and counsel them and tell them Jesus can do this, but they never, I, I've got several people in my life that I can think of that their relationship with the Lord has never been the same. And, and they don't want it to be the same because they like where they are now. And so this is the warning. This is the warning from the Lord. So the impossibility described here. It's an impossibility of being restored to repentance, not a restoration to salvation. So it's important to keep that in mind. Repentance and salvation are not equal.
And I, I cannot stress this enough to all of you. Repentance simply means to turn away from. That's what it means. So it's only after you are saved and born again and regenerated that you have the power to repent and turn from sin in your life. Before then, you're a slave to sin. Romans talks all about that. But no longer, once you're saved, you don't have to be enslaved to that any longer because he paid for it. You were on an auction block. He ransomed you. So step into that authority and let him just break those shackles off and open the prison door in front of you. You just have to walk through it. <laughs> That's the key. You can't, he's not going to force you through it. You've got to walk through it. So before then, you were a slave. So praise God and take that authority he's placed in you, wickedness in your life. Look at 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God has a promise of us in this room, the healing of the United States of America is on every one of you in this room if you are saved. It's not upon those out there that don't know the Lord. It is on you and I. So if my people, do we believe God for this? I do. We've been praying for years in the men's Bible study group that abortion would be outlawed in this land. And on Tuesday, when the Supreme Court, that, that leak came out of their brief, it, it just, I was in absolute tears just praising God. I mean, if that, if that, it looks like it's going to happen, but all of us need to be fervent in prayer for that to see the light of day and for it to come to pass because child sacrifice has no place in our land and it's up to us. It's up to my people, God says, because if we will turn from our wicked ways, if we won't get stuck in this third warning in Hebrews, if you will turn from your wicked ways and take authority over the enemy, that's trying to beset you in your life, he'll hear from heaven, forgive your sin and heal their land. That's, it's that simple. And so the onus is on us. If you want a future for your children and grandchildren, it's on us. So after God delivers the children of Israel from Egypt, think about this, they get so bad, he wants to wipe them out and start over with just Moses. I know all of you remember the story but Moses intercedes, he prays, he pleads with the Lord. So God repented of what he was going to do in Exodus 32, 14. And the Lord repented of the evil, which he thought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down from the Mount and the two tables of the testimony were in his hands. The tables were written on both their sides on the one side and the other were they written. So, the Lord obviously does not need to repent of any sin, right? And that's, it's unfortunate that the church has kind of attached that word repent to linking with sin. It just means to turn away from a decision you've made. That's it. God made a decision that he was going to wipe out the people, but prayer turned the tide and Moses interceded and the Lord repented. He turned from that decision. Now, when you get to Numbers 14, when you think about it in Numbers 14, which the, Hebrew, the whole book of Hebrews uses the children of Israel as this example, but in Numbers 14, remember, God would not repent of his decision to not let any of them go into the promised land. He chose not to repent because they got too far gone. 
Okay, in Genesis 27, Esau was desperately seeking a place of repentance, but had gone too far in forsaking his commitment to the Lord. He earlier, remember, he even sold his birthright because he did not take seriously his walk with God. In Genesis 27, and, as Isaac, and Isaac, his father, said unto them, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who were, who where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? Remember, Jacob usurped him. And I have eaten of all before thou comest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me, alas, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Okay, Esau's lying now. Jacob did not take his birthright. Esau sold it to him. So he's not being forthright. And behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him. For servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So Hebrews even uses this whole example of Esau in Hebrews 12, 16. Let there, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. Okay, so God clearly has a, a view of Esau. Who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now, you think that's an extreme example from the Lord, but how many Christians are willing to give up their birthright? You have a birthright because you're born again, and that birthright resides in heaven. It, it could be a whole myriad of inheritance and reward, and we're going to talk about those. But how many Christians sell those to have one morsel of the world? It's amazing, isn't it, how, how deeply rooted in the world Christians can get it's because it's right in front of their eyes and they're not I love how the Lord told a good friend of mine um, who was struggling that he wasn't he wasn't that excited about heaven he felt like he had some work here he needed to do and and the Lord said hey you're not excited about it yet because you've never been there you don't know what it's so just hold on just wait but in verse 17 for you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, look at that word, inherited, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So we, he would have inherited something, but he could not any longer. He lost his chance of a greater blessing from God, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. It sounds to me like Esau was repentant, right? He sought it carefully with tears. He was very sorrowful for what he did. So why was there no place of repentance? It's just a, it's a hunch I have, but I think the statement applies to God, not to Esau. Esau could not find a place where God would repent from the judgment he had declared on his life. And it's kind of like he found no place of repentance. So think about it when you're, 
There are times in your life when you have children, even in the court system, right? People go too far and there's no, the punishment that you've declared on your child, for example, no matter how much they beg and plead, it's going to come through. You're going to ground them. You're going to take away their phone. They're not going to do whatever, play sports this weekend. And they can be repentant and cry and cry. And it's like, listen, I gave you six opportunities to make this right for the last two months and you haven't, this is what's coming down. You've got to learn your lesson. And so I'm not totally convinced the place of repentance wasn't as a, as a heavenly father that's raising a family. So he would not repent on the judgment declared on Esau. So one of the most overlooked of the 10 commandments may turn out to be the most important for your walk with the Lord. And that's Exodus 20 verse seven. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So if you are going to take on the name, do not take on the ambassadorship of Jesus and do it in vain. You don't, you don't put that on as a light thing and then just forsake it. So you can't do that. If you do that, you're, you're going to end up like what Hebrews is warning about. So he expects and is pushing us toward a life of faithful service. So it's a privilege. This is a privilege. You get the honor and privilege to represent and be an ambassador for the greatest kingdom in the universe. That's what you get to do. And so take your job seriously. That's the point of this warning. Take it seriously. Can you go to the next slide here? So verses 7 and 8 to close us out here. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs and meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. So it's soaking in the, the water. It's, it's receiving a blessing from the Lord. That's the same admonition as for each of you in this room. I'd wash with the water of the word and receive that blessing but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected. Remember from the parable of the sowers we looked at last week, when the thorns come up and they choke out the word for the lusts of this world and the cares of this world? It's the same thing for our walk. The thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. So John 15, look what Jesus said. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. Now, to abide is a really critical concept in your walk with the Lord. How do you abide in Jesus? Well, it starts by staying in his word every single day. It starts there. And as you do that, he will show you in your life what you need to get rid of. I promise you. The same bringeth forth much free, ye can do nothing. If a man abideth not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. That's a really cool promise from the Lord, that if you ask, if you're abiding in Jesus, anything you ask of him, he will do for you. Now, the concept of that is that from Psalms, God will grant the desires of your heart. So this isn't like a, a genie in the bottle Aladdin thing. What he's saying is he will place those desires, his own desires, in your heart. And thus, when you ask for them, it's 
his will you're asking for, and from 1 John 5, you've got the confidence that he will answer them. Okay, so all of this culminates at the, at the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat that we're going to stand before as a believer. According to the grace of God, which has given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, think about those foundational principles again, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So this is the call to all of us. Take heed. You're on those foundational principles. You got saved. Take heed how you build on that now. What are you doing with it? For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. That The day there is the day of judgment, and not in a negative connotation for you as a believer. It's the day where you get to sit before the king, and everything you did in your life that's fruitful for the spirit is declared to you. That's the day. It's going to be the, the coolest day, one of the coolest days you'll experience as a believer. Revealed by fire. So because the day will declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So notice in verse 12 there, the two groups, everything in your life is either gold, silver, precious stones, the fruit of the spirit, or wood, hay, stubble, earthly, temporal, and it will be, it's consumable by fire. So as a reminder, what are some of the things you'll see at the judgment seat? Some of these rewards listed, these five crowns in the Bible, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown imperishable, the crown of rejoicing. Uh, and there's your verse reference right there. Now, each of those is tied to doing something in your life. Can you go to the next one, Aaron? There you go. The rewards for the overcomer. So remember, eight's the number of new beginnings, and we will have a new beginning in the new Jerusalem. But to eat of the tree of life, not hurt of the second death, hidden manna, a white stone. You've got a new name from the Lord in a white stone. You have power over the nations. Nobody here has that yet. You've got white raiment, a pillar, and a new name. Sit with Christ on his throne and to inherit all things to close the Bible. A sampling, and this is not an all-inclusive list of everything that the Lord has for you as a believer for a life of faithful service. So how are you an overcomer? Remember from the book of Revelation, you've got to remain loyal to God from Revelation 2. Do not lose your first love like the church at Ephesus did. You overcome trials and tribulations while remaining faithful, Revelation 2. You be spiritually zealous for the Lord in Revelation 2.19. Do not deny Jesus in chapter 3. Don't defile your garments in chapter 3, verse 4. And keep the word of his patience in chapter 3, verse 10. Those are just some pretty simple concepts of how can you become an overcomer. Don't forsake your relationship with Jesus. It's that simple. Don't forsake it. Take it seriously. Get into the word of God and build that time with Jesus because a relationship takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes you and your, and being deliberate in that relationship. So what do we do now? How do you do this? Well, I'm totally convinced for the last two years that, that New City is a place for 
people that want to take their relationship with the Lord to the next level. And it's, it's why Jesus wrote the mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride for Jesus's return. It's that, it's that unashamed bride that is doing all these things, right? Is not forsaking your relationship with Jesus. And so you've got to take, we've got to take up our, our, our cross daily, right? You've got to take that up daily and get in the word of God, be with Jesus. And there really is no more important time than right now for if you are not doing that to start because the whole world is just coming down on Christians harder and harder and harder every week. It's amazing. You just can't keep up with the headlines anymore of what is happening to believers. And don't lose sight that there are people all over the world right now their lives for the Lord. You know, it's, it doesn't happen so much here, in, obviously, in Oklahoma or the, or the United States. But there are people that are so dedicated and will not forsake the Lord. They're so convicted of who Jesus is. They're willing to give their life for him. And one way to kind of think, just think about in your mind mentally, what would you do if you're in that situation? And that may tell you kind of where you are with the Lord. Would you forsake him or would you declare him? So in Judges 5 through 7, remember with Gideon, when God was separating out the army, the ones that were lukewarm and weak and would bow the knee, he said, were not fit for battle. And so the ones that took the sword of the Spirit by their hand, that, that took the water in their hand, in battle. And that's, I'm hoping that's each one of you here and all of you watching online, that you are in that state that you're willing to take the word in your hand and go out and do battle with the Lord. So get into the word of God. This is, this is, this warning, it's a steep warning, this third one. But the way to break that, those two present actions, it's to get into the word. that impossibility on your life. Get in the word of God, build your faith. It is, for without faith, it's impossible to please him, from Hebrews eleven six and search out the scriptures daily, Acts 17, 11, and how to build that faith by doing it daily, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so it's so important right now to run this race with diligence, run this race with diligence and tear down those strongholds. Life, just like the children of Israel, they left the, the three cities, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and the Golan Heights. They did not tear down what God told them to tear down, and it's still a thorn in their families today. You may have something in your life that needs to be torn down, not just for you, but for your children, that it doesn't affect them down the road. Because Satan may have an assignment, right? He, he's got a war room just like the Lord, and he ushers out assignments. There was, remember a couple months ago, there was an attack on this church and the Lord showed me several visions and we, we all prayed against that. But you've got to be sensitive in the spirit and to do that, you've got to be in the word of God. And so don't take this, don't take this walk lightly because when you are out there in this world and you're fighting the enemy, if you have something accursed in your life, just like Joshua seven, then you are susceptible. You're susceptible to be taken out of the game and God is, just at you and I to press on, to cross the Jordan, go and start conquering that land city by city, little by little.
Okay, if you're here, if you're, if you're watching this online, if you need to be born again so that you can overcome that in your life, it's really simple. It's Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So it's that simple. Anything that you've done in the past has immediately turned from crimson to white as snow, white as wool. He just It's a blank sheet. It's a clean start. And so if you're watching this today and you need to get born again, do that. Take this moment right now and go get in your bedroom and say that verse, Romans 10, 9, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead. And you too have a resurrection in the future. Do an upgrade, a new body at the rapture. Praise God. So with that, I'll close us in prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for... Again, all of the moms in the room and all of the moms in our lives, God, I thank you for the blessing, the blessing of a praying, righteous woman, mom and a spouse. Lord, it is more valuable than anything in this world, just like you declared in Proverbs. So God, I pray that you would have a fresh outpouring for all of the moms that are involved with this church, all of the moms that are involved in the lives of the families here. God, strengthen them and give them a fresh word on how to be praying on behalf of their families, on behalf of this church, on behalf of your kingdom, and what exactly it is that you would have for them in the days ahead. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with this place. Let this be a day and an afternoon of rest and joy and contentment and peace in resting with you, Lord. Thank you again for the book of Hebrews. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. Thank you for teaching us all things from 1 John 2.27. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.